You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 66. Today's topic, refugee resettlement and reducing the risk for human trafficking. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahopiak, and this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And I am by myself here in the studio because Sandy has been on the road a whole bunch in the last couple of weeks, and I wanted to get one of her interviews out that she had had when she was up in Washington this past week. Sandy sat down with Mark Cadell, who's the director of the Spokane World Relief Organization, and had a conversation about refugee resettlement and how it connects with reducing the risk for human trafficking, which is, of course, which we're, what we're always talking about, and looking for more knowledge that will help inform all of us so we can be a voice and make a difference in ending human trafficking. So here is Sandy's conversation with Mark. This is Sandy Morgan. I'm in Spokane, Washington, and I'm very excited to see an old friend that I served with when we lived in Athens, Greece. Mark Cadel, welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. Well, thank you, Sandy. It's a privilege to be here with you. And what I'd like to do today is talk about what World Relief does in ending human trafficking. So to start off, I'd really like to understand what you do as the director of World Relief in Spokane, Washington. Well, World Relief is an international humanitarian Christian organization started in post-World War II with some uh, bringing relief aid to war-torn Europe. And in recent years, uh, we have, are not affiliated with any church, but rather we're kind of the humanitarian arm of the National Association of Evangelicals, although independent from them. And so we work around the world in a variety of different relief programs. Internationally, we do a lot of disaster relief, mother and child health, HIV clinics, and in some of the poorest of poor countries, we also have microenterprise loans. So mainly women that are looking for viable employment options can take out small loans and start up like cottage industries to be able to provide some support for them and their children. In the United States, we have 26 offices whereby we primarily do refugee resettlement. And in a few offices, we also have programs to fight human trafficking. And Spokane is one of the offices that we have that uh, have grants to be able to not only provide services to survivors of trafficking, but also raise awareness in the community. So what? So Spokane has this grant, and what other office? You said two? There, there are several offices. There's offices in North Carolina. In Florida, both Jacksonville and Tampa, and Atlanta has a small grant. So does the one in Fort Worth has a grant to be able to provide services for victims of human trafficking. I was pretty impressed when I visited your office. Um, how many are on staff at World Relief here in Spokane? We have uh, a total of about 38. Only about 22, 24 of them are full-time. The rest are part-time. Some of them are just citizenship teachers, things like that. And how many languages are spoken by the World Relief staff in Spokane, Washington? Last count, we speak 24 different languages by staff because probably about a third of my staff are either former refugees or are foreign-born. Okay. And some of them speak 
five, six languages themselves. Wow. As a former um, human trafficking task force administrator, when I know that there's somebody in my neighborhood who has access to 24 languages, I'm thinking, ooh, victim translation services. That's terrific. Absolutely. But your job here primarily is refugee resettlement. I don't understand really what that means. So explain that for us. Well, the term refugee has a very narrow definition as defined by the United Nations. Its uh, its technical definition is someone who has a well-founded fear of persecution because of five different reasons, race, religion, nationality, or membership of a particular social group or political opinion. And that person has had to flee their country of nationality because of that severe form of persecution, which translates into like death threats, lack of opportunities for employment, lack of health care, lack of education, because of race, religion, nationality, social group, political opinion. And they are unable to return because their country of nationality will still not protect them from severe forms of persecution. So give me an example of one of the stories of somebody I met. Maybe don't give us their name, but just give us an example. Well, uh, in the country of Bhutan, 24 years ago, the dictator monarch decided that the people in southern Bhutan, which is, if people don't know where Bhutan is, it's kind of between India and China, a little tiny country there. Uh, It's referred to in the past as the land of Shangri-La. It's called Bhutan now. Uh, The people in southern Bhutan had a heritage 400 years earlier of being of Nepali descent. And he wanted a pure Bhutanese race. So he basically came in and started jailing the fathers, the brothers, killing people, raping the women, burning down their homes, and forcing them to leave. And they had no other solution to survive but to flee Bhutan, even though for 400 years they've been living there very peacefully. Hmm. They fled into India. India says, you can't do come here because we don't have a refugee program. So the country of Nepal, actually the eastern part of Nepal, opened up numerous refugee camps for them to come for just a short period of time. But after 20 years, Nepal says, these people are a burden to our country. And so they petitioned the United Nations and says, what do we do with these people? They can't go back. They can't stay here. So the United Nations petitioned countries like the United States and said, would you consider resettling some of these Bhutanese refugees? And U.S. government's policy is, is if they clearly fit the definition of a refugee, if they go through numerous interviews so that there isn't any question that they are a refugee, not just fleeing for economic purposes or something like that, they go through medical checks because there's certain infectious diseases that we don't allow into this country, and they go through very thorough security checks. If they pass all that, they're kind of put in, their name is kind of put into a holding tank. And every week, the State Department meets with nine other resettlement agencies that work across the country, World Belief being one, and the only evangelical resettlement agency. Uh, We meet with them. They say, we got this many people that we pulled up for this week. And they distribute them amongst the different agencies. World Belief gets about 10%. And then World Belief's headquarters distributes amongst the 26 offices. And if their name happens to come up, we have to assure that we can provide resettlement services for this family. In other words, we have to have language capabilities. We have to have schooling, employment opportunities, English classes, things like that. So we assure the case. And then anywhere from four months to four years later, 
they finally come, their name comes to the top, and they get flight information that they're flying in about two or three weeks to come to Spokane, Washington. And that's where our job, Sandy, really begins, is meeting them at the airport and help them get resettled in a land far away that they may not speak the language by helping them go through medical checks, getting them getting them into English classes, their children in school, uh, helping them teach them, employ, make themselves employable here in the market here in Spokane. So they're really coming here to start all over. Absolutely. They're starting their lives over. And to counter what some people believe that refugees just flee their country and the next week they get on the airplane, the average length of time that the refugees have stayed in refugee camps, which are horrible conditions, really, mm-hmm. before they're able to come to Spokane that are landing weekly at the Spokane airport is 14 years. So wow. many of the children have been born and raised in deplorable conditions in refugee camps. Wow. So that's your job, help people. And we have a variety of different other programs that help them with employment, with uh, immigration status, uh, because after a year they become a permanent resident or what's called a green card. Mm -hmm. And after five years, they can become a citizen. And the very first Bhutanese family that came to America came to Spokane. And about three months ago, that family had been here five years and they became citizens. And to see this 40-year-old mother tell our staff, who she's actually working for me here at World Relief, that she says, all my life for 40 years I've been stateless. Nobody's ever wanted us. Nobody's ever wanted us to be part of their country. And now after 40 years, I can say finally, I am a citizen of a country. God bless America. My children are being educated. We both, my husband, have jobs and we're actually wanted here. Wow. And and when you tell me that story, I think from the frame of reference of what causes people to be vulnerable to being human trafficked, to being sold, to being lured into jobs, and it's because they have no options, they have no roots, they have no place to call home. So in a great sense, uh, my next question, I almost have the answer because I was going to ask you, what's the link to human trafficking? And certainly um, helping someone who is stateless become, um, have a place is reducing all kinds of risk for being vulnerable to other kinds of trafficking. But here on the ground in Spokane, Washington, what is the link of your World Relief Office to human trafficking? Well, Sunny, it, it, it's actually in several different areas. Number one, many of the refugees that we resettle have been trafficked. They have fled for the life. They have been trying to survive. And when people get desperate, especially mothers with children, and they're desperate for the survival of their children, they'll do anything to be able to get that next meal or for their child or to be able to get some water, to just to be able to, you know, survive from being killed in a war zone or in a severe persecution. We've heard story after story after story that just makes me wonder how people can be so cruel to other human beings. And because of no fault of their own, but because of their race, their religion, their nationality, social group, or even political opinion, they're on the wrong side in their country. Mm. And they've had to literally flee for their lives. In fact, every Iraqi refugee that we've resettled, that I have known personally, has either had a family member or a very close friend murdered by the insurgents or the Al-Qaeda or somebody that's on the wrong side. Many of the fathers have been kidnapped for high ransoms 
Or they get a note under their door and saying, if you don't pay a high ransom, we're going to come and murder your family tomorrow. What would you do? Pack your bags and flee to somewhere safe. And that somewhere safe could be Syria, which is already in a turmoil now, or Jordan or Turkey. Somewhere that you can get to a border that although losing your entire life and heritage, it's somewhere that you can survive. And when you're in that border transition and somebody comes up to you and says, oh, we have a really good job for you and we think that if you come with us, your family will be safe. And these people are so vulnerable that they're, they're willing to take whatever options. And they have been burnt by so many people, so many corrupt organizations, so many people that are in uniform, that have that are corrupt in their thinking take advantage of them that when they come here many of them have trust issues as you can imagine oh so they don't even trust you and many of them at the very beginning they look at us literally we say we will always tell you the truth we have your best interests in mind this is the federal program that you must go through and many of them they'll believe uh, another per- person of their ethnicity who doesn't know what they're talking about before they were believe a world relief staff who's been doing it for 20 years and knows the program very well because of the lack of trust that has been beaten down in them that they've been fooled they've been lied to they've been uh, deceived so many times in their life sandy that they have a hard time trusting which is also what we see in even domestic human trafficking victims is that trust issue that they don't believe or trust anybody because they've been so deceived all their life and are are refugees vulnerable to being trafficked once they come to the United States? Yes, they are, just like anybody else. In really. what way? Well, in the way that they are naive. Mm. Very, very naive in what is the situation. So people take advantage of that. Whereas our children, we raise our children to be, you know, stranger danger. Don't talk to a stranger. We've perhaps won their confidence that Americans are going to help them, that Americans are here in their best interest, that we welcome them, we're helping them get started in their life again. And so then they open up to anybody. Hmm. And they meet the strangers on the street that smile and have the right words and are very accommodating to them. And so they're very much prey to people that take advantage and are looking for people that are naive and just openly trust them because it reverses practically to the other side of of the equation as well. And we know that vulnerability is one of the first precursors to human trafficking. So, okay, so then tell us just a little bit more about how your office is linked to ending human trafficking here in um, Spokane. Well, I came to Spokane three years ago. And before that, I was the office director of the World Relief Offices in North Carolina. And we uh, applied for and won several different grants, not only to raise awareness of human trafficking in North Carolina, but also to provide services in North to victims of human trafficking. Working very closely with the FBI, we uh, started several task teams there. And so coming to Spokane, I saw that the World Relief Office wasn't doing anything with human trafficking. But because it's such a passion of mine, from my very first experience of attending a hands to heal training in 2008, that I couldn't just put this issue on the shelf. Our mission statement at World Relief is to empower the local church to serve the most vulnerable. And in my book, Sandy, some of the most vulnerable people on the planet are victims of human trafficking. 
So it fits very well with the ethos and the mission of world relief. And so when I came here, I came with the attitude of, let me see what's already going on in Spokane. Let me see what groups are already engaged in it. And I come to complement what's already going. The issue is too big to be raising anything in competition with anybody. But rather, see what's going on already, see what we can do to complement. And meeting with the different groups, I found that nobody was reaching out to the churches. Hmm. Nobody was reaching out to educate church people, which are largely, as you know, very ignorant of human trafficking issues. And so because our mission statement is to empower or even educate the church, the big C church, we begin reaching out to churches and educating them about this issue and helping educate the men, the boys, the children, the mothers uh, about this issue and what are some of the dangers and what are some of the signs of this and how, why is it so important to address pornography at a very, very young age and the evils and how that leads into human trafficking and things like that, that has been very, very well accepted. And in the meantime, we've also applied for it and received a grant through the Office of Refugee Resettlement to provide services to foreign-born victims of human trafficking here in this area. So we not only raise awareness, but we always have we also have services which we're very well suited to do because of our refugee resettlement program. So te- let's go back up just a minute to the find out what's already going on and develop become part of a coalition. I, I get a lot of questions, Mark, in emails when I go to conferences, and the question is twofold. First, they want to know, how do I find a coalition in my neighborhood? And then, if there isn't one, they want to know, how do I start one? So answer the first question. How do we find a coalition in our neighborhoods? Well, we have this wonderful thing called the Internet. (laughs) Ah, okay. So we're going to Google it. You can Google Coalition Anti-Human Trafficking, and I'm sure you can find different organizations. Or another option would be to find agencies that perhaps are having... Uh, survivor type uh, services to people and ask them directly, is there a coalition? Most major cities that I'm aware of have some type of coalition where people meet, Not perhaps not very often. We meet months a month. In fact, that's something that we started here at World Relief is because I saw that many agencies and organizations in Spokane, the Inland Northwest, were kind of siloed. They all kind of did their thing, but nobody was talking to each other. And a lot of redundancy and efforts because they weren't working together as a team. So I said, enough of this. Let's allow the World Relief Office to be a host site. And I can be the facilitator. Let's get the other around the table. So not only can we support each other, but we can share information so we're all on the same page of what's currently happening and how we can come together as a greater voice, much greater than we can individually. Well, and a great example of how that coalition works is the reason I'm up here, because you did a human trafficking event for the community in partnership with um, how many organizations? Well, there must have been uh, eight different organizations in partnership. Okay, so it was... World Affairs. The World Affairs Council of Spokane, World Relief, Lutheran Community Services, Union Gospel Mission. Uh, several of the universities have anti-trafficking clubs that were very much involved. Moody Bible Institute, Gonzaga University, Whitworth, and places like that that all came together because of our coalition to help support, promote, and be able to advertise this event for people to come and be better informed about human trafficking. 
And I was particularly impressed because the senior director of FBI was there for human trafficking, as well as local police department and and victim services. And Representative Kevin Parker was there. So we had state representative. Yes. So I I think having that kind of of model in front of the community goes a long ways towards building the strength of a coalition. Absolutely, because they can see that we all are all friends, we're all working together, and this gives people's confidence that, yes, this, I'm learning about this, this is horrible, and the first question that people usually ask is, what's being done about it? Well, look, we already have those things in place. And when people raise their hands and say, well, what can I do now? I invite them, come to the coalition. And I noticed when I was at your office, you're, you have plenty of uh, Rescue Restore bro- brochures and posters so that people can post the 888-3737-888 number um, wherever they are uh, working. or. And we have a lot of information from Homeland Security on the Blue Campaign as well yes. that we freely give. We order and we freely give out to people all the time. So you're really promoting a community-wide education and engagement strategy here in Spokane and by hosting it you just facilitate that for other people so if somebody says to me well there's no coalition in my city maybe they need to call the world relief office in their city or you know and another agency of some kind that has services that is working with human trafficking when world relief isn't in every city obviously but there are Mm -hmm. always all major cities have some type of agency that's doing something with refugees okay. across the country. And so you could contact them, and they may or may not have information, but there's other agencies that are addressing human trafficking. Maybe it might be a, a parachurch organization or just a NGO. And um, if that is not successful, call the local FBI or police force and find out what, what is their Who are they working with? Who are they working with? They want to work with the community. That's, that's correct. for sure. And and I think it's um, it's a not a, a healthy strategy to wait for the government to start something. And a lot of people are well. I called um, I called Washington to find out where is the task force I can go and join. And if there isn't one, and there aren't that many that are federally funded, and there's fewer and fewer dollars for that, then for the community to take the initiative and to start their own coalition and figure out how to work together, how to build strategies to do those kinds of community education events that will build a community where human trafficking can exist because we know what we're seeing, we know what to do about it. That's part of the um, the, the issue. And I, I totally agree with you, Sandy, but I would also say do your homework first. Last year we had a group of well-intended students who decided, wow, nothing's being done about human trafficking. Let's start our own little group. And then afterwards they found that all these other organizations doing something. Mm-hmm. The coalition were going, hello, we're over here. Do oh, we didn't, know, we didn't know anybody was doing anything about human trafficking. We thought we were the first ones. Well, we've been working with it for years and years here. So you have to do your homework first. Yeah, because we have already have too many nonprofits. So, <laughs> if someone's looking for the coalition in um, Spokane, how do they find it? Is there a website? Yes, a there number? is. It's the Coalition to Abolish Human Trafficking in the Inland Northwest. We have chapters both in Coeur d'Alene in Northern Idaho and in Spokane, Washington. And how do we contact you? You can contact us through the World Relief Office. Actually, the, the email address is race to end slavery at wr.org. And the two is a number two. So it's race number two to end slavery at 
wr.org. Great. That is very cool. Okay, so um, now tell us how you specifically, as World Relief, aside from the coalition, empower the church on ending human trafficking. Well, a lot of this is information. Mm-hmm. And allowing to be able to educate people about what is the true me- what is human trafficking, what does it look like in the world today, what does it look like in your general area, and what are some of the red flags to be understanding what to do. And everywhere we go is we educate people, because some church people are a bit like vigilantes. They want to go out there and they want to go walk the streets where some of the prostituted women are walking and they want to rescue these girls. They want to go out and you know be in dangerous situations. But we, we always tell them that we need to leave that to the professionals. This is dangerous work. The best way you can do is to educate yourself. Get involved with the coalition. Get involved with events to raise awareness. And be able to work on the preventative side by educating people about it before they get involved in it. As young men are growing up, as young women are growing up, the dangers of pornography, like I mentioned earlier, and educating people about it so there is, we decrease the demand for prostituted women or pornography or labor, forced labor situations, if we can address the issue by getting at the root causes of it and decreasing the demand, we have a better job of, in the end, ending this human tragedy. So if you are listening to this and you want to see what World Relief is doing, not only here in Spokane, but um, around our nation, go to worldrelief.org. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some really good materials on asking the right questions. Sometimes uh, I'm just really surprised at how little, how uh, ill-equipped we are when we meet someone and we think, wow, something doesn't seem right here. How could I find out before I walk away if Mm -hmm. they're really okay? And some of the questions on your handouts, um, you ask them, so how did you hear about this job? Mm-hmm. So I didn't ask, are you a trafficking victim? How did you hear about this job? And were you told that you'd have to pay money up front if you wanted the job? Um, and once you arrived, did they take your identity documents? Do you get paid what you were promised? Those are really important questions to find out. And if you can have a conversation with someone, you can demonstrate to them that you are demonstrating respect uh, to someone learning to live here. This is their new country, but we also show them that we care about them being safe and secure. That's right, Sandy. In fact, we had a caseworker in North Carolina that she would frequent uh, ethnic restaurants, and she would get up after she ordered a meal and went back to go to the bathroom, but she didn't really go to the bathroom. She went back into the kitchen, and she has the dishwasher, these type of questions, just being friendly with them. And she actually, you know, over the process of a year, actually uncovered two different people that fit the definition of labor trafficking in these ethnic restaurants. Wow. Because she had such a heart for it, she wanted to investigate, but she was trained to do that. Mm-hmm. She was trained. She had experience. Wouldn't be something I'd recommend to anybody, but somebody that has been educated and been in the field and understand all the dangers of it to be able to reach out. But these are very, very good questions. Well, I think what we've learned today is that refugee resettlement has um, some overlap with human trafficking. And that if we get to understand better how our country does refugee resettlement, 
that we won't be as suspicious of those foreigners we see at your office, Mark. That's right. That's correct. And um, and we'll also be more aware of how we can be part of of keeping these kind of really vulnerable people safe until they're really on their feet in our mm-hmm. communities. Mm-hmm. Um, our time is up, but we are really grateful and thankful for your sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you, Sydney. It's been a pleasure. I hope you found that conversation between Sandy and Mark of value. If you'd like more information on the work Mark is doing, go to worldrelief.org slash Spokane, and that will get you there. And of course, the notes are always on our website at gcwj.vanguard.edu. If you have a comment, question, or feedback for us about the show or today's topic, send us an email, gcwj at vanguard.edu, or you can call us directly at 714-966-6360. And just a reminder, if you haven't already joined our occasional newsletter update, you can also do that from the Global Center for Women and Justice website, gcwj.vanguard.edu. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Take care.